Welcome to the LYC Podcast. We are a youth community that believes in loving people and meeting them where they are. Our desire is that through this message, God's love for you is confirmed, your hope in Jesus is renewed, and your faith is awakened. Um, I'm coming with a sense of urgency. Um, urgency because I feel like we are in a special time, a special day. We are a generation for a unique purpose. Like this group of people in this town, in this city, in, in South Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina, Fort Mill, Rock Hill, we are in a unique place and time. And, and I just had this burning on my heart for many months now, but we're going to see a lot of people come to know Jesus very soon. I couldn't explain why. I can't tell you how it's going to happen, but I just have this stirring on the inside that God's about to move in a mighty, mighty way, and we're going to see people who used to follow Jesus but fell away come back. And tonight, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about homecoming. You could put it up on the screen for me if you're taking notes. My, my people in the booth, could you put it on the screen? That's the title of tonight's message, Homecoming. People coming back home. Tonight, it's going to be real simple. We're going to look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to go through a handful. I think there's three stories in particular. Uh, there are three parables that Jesus tells. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son story. Maybe you've heard of it once or twice before. And we're going to walk through them real silly. We're going to read a whole chapter in the Bible tonight. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of scriptures like when Eben used to preach. I mean, we used to get a lot of scripture going here. And I love Eben. I'm going to tell him to listen just so I call them out. Um, but tonight, that's, that's kind of our game plan. That's the map of where we're going to be going here. Um, let me make sure I didn't get anything, uh, forget anything. See here, we're going to hit those three, uh, three stories. And then we're going to ask and answer one really big question, but I won't tell you that until we get there because thematics, right? Um, so with that being said, let me pray for us. Open up to Luke 15 while I'm praying, and then we'll go ahead and jump right in. Is it the monitors that's making this? Could you mute the monitors for me here? Because I'm just going to drive me bananas. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, thank you so much for what you've already done. Lord, I just thank you on the front side for what you've prepared for this night. I'm reminded that you came in the fullness of time. You entered into creation. You put on skin and bone, and you, you entered into the world through Mary. God, I thank you that we are birthing something special tonight. That this is not an ordinary night, Lord. We, we set this night apart to you. And we say you do what only you could do tonight, Lord. This is not a message of my power, my strength, and my ability, my knowledge. This is a message of your power, your goodness to us, God, your love for us, God. So, Lord, I pray that our hearts would not see Matt. They would see you. That we would not see a story we've heard many times before, but we would see fresh life and an invitation to come closer to you, Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. Oh, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm super emotional, and I don't know why. Oh, gosh. Okay, so, I seriously, I can't help it. Okay, so, I just want to remind you guys of some cool things. Um, the... the People are still being healed by Jesus today. Um, believe it or not, dead people are still being raised to life again. I'm talking literal dead people. Like, that guy's dead. He'll raise back to life. We're seeing blind eyes still being opened. We're seeing hopeless people restored back to hope still. 
We're seeing people suffering with depression, being set free and experiencing joy they've never experienced before because of Jesus. This is the day we're still living in. Jesus was radical. This guy was no average, ordinary Joe. He was radical about breaking rules, crossing lines that shouldn't be crossed, touching things and doing all this crazy. It was incredible what Jesus did. Jesus would go to lepers. I don't know about lepers. If you know about them, they're not the leper, like, like different kind of leper, leopards, lepers. Lepers were people with the weird skin disease. You're not supposed to touch them. Jesus went up to them and was like, hey, you're healed. He would touch the lepers. He would go over to the sinners, the tax collectors, the worst, the scum of the earth, the prostitutes. He would hang out with these people. People didn't like that. In Luke chapter 15, we're picking up. These Pharisees and scribes see this guy named Jesus. We're going to open up with Luke 15 verse 1 uh, from my people in the booth. Getting a little ahead of me here. Um, Luke 15, 1. We see the Pharisees and the scribes just upset with Jesus. They're irate. They're like, what are you doing hanging out with sinners and weirdos and bad people? Don't you know we're the holy ones? Like, you should be hanging out with us. And Jesus takes his time to then read or tell these stories, these three individual stories to address this issue. Let's go ahead and read it. Um, There are three stories, again, uh, parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. You ready? Here we go. Uh, Luke 15, verse 1, and it says this. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them? So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his, his friends and his neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance at all. Pause. Oh my goodness. Verse four, it says, he goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. Until he finds it. Maybe someone needs to hear, someone here needs to know that God is still looking for you. If you feel like he's given up on you and he's abandoned you, he is not. He's going to look until he finds you. Maybe you have friends, family, a lost person in your life you know needs the love, the healing, the power, the forgiveness of Jesus. He has not given up on them. Tonight, as I'm doing this, I, I maybe forgot this and I'm going to say it now, but I want you to receive tonight's message in two different ways. One, for yourself. Man, everybody's lost and need a little bit more of Jesus in their life. I am the chief of that. I need Jesus. But I also want you to, to hear these stories in this scripture as if you are somebody who wants to help find the lost. Is that okay? Can we do it like that? Sorry, right, let's keep going. Verse five, it says, when he finds a lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders. Interesting thing. I didn't know this. Sheep are pretty dumb. Did you know that? Sheep are one of the dumbest animals on the planet. It's an interesting factor. I didn't realize it. Like sheeple, you know, they, people use it as like slang for like culture and politics. And you sheeple following. The, uh, so apparently sheep are actually really dumb. And so when a sheep wanders off and it's like, oh, do, 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 do. I'm, I don't know where I'm going. And he realizes, oh, snap. Where did everyone go? What do they do? He's just like, oh, my God. And he just sits down. I'm serious. Look at Google this, guys. Like, Google's the word of the God. Like, Google, like, when sheep get lost, 
they sit down. It's the weirdest thing. So if you ever see a sheep alone in the field, he's probably lost. You're like, oh, bless the little sheep. But here's the, here's the crazy thing. Sheep sit down when they're lost because they realize they're helpless. And they realize there's nobody around. So they're stuck. I mean, how, uh, <laughs> that describes my life so many times where I get into the situation, I don't know how I got here. It says the sheep wandered off. He didn't know, he didn't choose to wander off. He just happens like he looked up one day and he's like, oh man, nobody's around. Bloop. <laughs> but man, Jesus comes and it says that he comes to the sheep that's sitting down and he puts the sheep on his shoulders and carries it home. So when you're in that place in life and you feel stuck, you feel helpless, you feel hopeless, you feel like nobody can sympathize with me. Jesus can sympathize with you, and he doesn't say, hey, get up and walk home, let's go. He puts you on his shoulders because he knows the pain you're in. He knows the struggle you're dealing with, and he'll carry you home so you don't have to walk. That's the kind of God we have. Oh, that's so good. I'm just going to keep walking through this, guys. Verse 6, he calls together his friends and neighbors, and they rejoice. Um, I preached a message, I don't know, four or five months ago about the heart of conviction, about when we are convicted by God of sin, righteousness, and judgment, our reaction often is, that really sucks. I feel bad now. But the reality is God's desire that when we experience conviction, God telling you, hey, you're living less than the standard of God, our response should be this, to celebrate. Nehemiah chapter 9, you could put it in your notes if you want and go back and read it. But the, the, Israel, I'm sorry, the Israelites had fallen away from God. They read the law. They start crying and weeping. They're like, oh my gosh, we have not been following God the way we should. And, and Ezra, the priest, is like, shut up. Stop crying, man. This is a holy moment. Instead, grab the fattened calf. Cut that thing up. We're going to eat some steaks tonight. Grab the wine. Let's celebrate. Go get your friends. It is time to party. When someone who's lost is found, we celebrate. It says in heaven, we're gonna, I'm going to jump ahead, but we celebrate. We, we get people around us and we party like crazy because that is what God does when someone comes home. Verse 8. We're going to go to verse 8. You ready? Or another parable, parable of the lost coin. What woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. For one person, and all the angels are like getting all feisty and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what just happened, little Billy just repented. Oh my gosh. And throw a party. Just one. It's not like a nation came to the Lord. Like, no, it's one. One heart that's like, man, I need God. Blows heaven's mind. They can't even handle it. They're just, oh, party, let's go. <laughs> anybody, has anybody given their life to Jesus? I mean, okay, cool, cool. We got some people, some family in the house, blood brothers. Um, that was nice. That was tight. Have you considered the fact that heaven rejoiced over you when you got saved? <sighs> Angels were partying. Liam Escalante gave his life to the Lord. Oh my gosh, let's go! And they just started freaking out. Pastor Brandon, he's a pastor. He wasn't born saved. No, he wasn't. He chose to follow Jesus. Heaven exploded. 
man, heaven is so eager. I feel like they're just sitting on the edge of their seat, ready to party at the next person to get saved. They're anticipating. They've gone to Party City. They've bought their supplies. They are ready to go. They want people to come home. Now, what's interesting about these three parables is that they kind of show three different types of lost people. I don't know if you knew that, but there are three types of lost people. The, the sheep is just somebody who wanders off. They didn't realize what they're doing. Oh, do, 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 like, uh, and they're, they're lost. The second one is the coin that was lost in the house. What's interesting about this is that it was lost in the shuffle. There was just a lot of stuff going on in the house. Anybody's room super messy? I mean, my house, uh, Brandon's like, yep, I have three and four, one more on the way. Like some people are messy and this house was just a mess. And this coin got lost in the mess. Sometimes we're lost just because we got so much stuff going on. But here's the interesting thing about the story. Where was the coin lost? Anybody got a little Bible theology here? Where was the coin lost? Anybody want to show a hand? Anybody, come on, where was the coin lost? Kimberly, where was the coin lost? In the house. We're going to really take this slow, just so everyone in this room gets this here, because this is so juicy. I'm not going to let you miss this, okay? You're tracking. I see you in the back tracking. We're tracking. The coin was lost in the house. I'm going to put this out of here. The coin was lost in the house. Okay, let's maybe go over here. The coin was lost in the house. Come on, Kate. Come on, Kate. That's good. Okay, here we go. Let's put it together because Caden's laughing at me now. Uh, it's okay, Caden. You can be lost and still be in the Lord's house. So you could show up and be in the right place and still be lost. You could be in the house of the Lord. Woo! And still be lost. You could be in godly community and still be lost. You could be there for when Kimberly hits the high note and still be lost. You could be here with your Bible and journal out taking notes and still be lost. Catch this though. It's, it's not just about doing the religious activities and showing up when we say to show up and doing what we tell you to do. There should be a fruitfulness in your life. John 15 says that when we abide in him and his word abides in us, we ask what we desire and it's done for us. There's this abiding relationship. So when you're found by the Father, fruitfulness comes out of your life. You should have evidence of God finding you, but so many Christians live and come to church and have no fruit on their life. And they hate it. That's why people leave the church all the time, honestly, in my opinion. I would leave if that was my case. I mean, you keep showing up and nothing ever changes. Perhaps we're a lot of lost coins in the church. We're here, but we're lost. But here's the beautiful thing. It says that the woman, she lighted, she lit, she lighted. Hmm. I graduated high school. She, she lights a lamp, she sweeps up, and she searches until it's found. So catch this. When you're a lost coin and you don't know where to go, what does the father do? He lights a lamp. He makes it super clear where the path is to get home. Then he sweeps up. All the stuff that's been in your way, all the hurdles you've been trying to navigate, the things you think are really hard. I don't know if I can, I want to come back to God, but there's this thing in the way the Lord's like, okay, I'll sweep that out of the way. And he says, I'm going to keep searching for you until you come home. Just keep coming, come home. It's okay, just come home. I forgive you. I come back, come back. And he lights the lamp so that you can come home. Oh gosh, it's so good. And then the response is the same. Let's party. <laughs> 
guys, it's, it, I can't, I mean, we're going to have to just throw a party next time someone gets saved, right? Like, forget the message. If someone gets saved during worship, we're just going to bounce the message, grab some, like, bubbly or something and party. Like, is that, is that thing? Can we agree on that? Like, the next person gets saved, we're just going to party hard. Like, it's Taco Bell. Um, now, the last story we're going to look at is a prodigal son story. This one is a little bit longer, so I'm going to read it. Somewhat quickly, but we're going to kind of hit some high spots as we go. So you guys ready? We're going to pick up in verse 11. You ready? Got three people. Good, good. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me a portion of the goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. He's like, hey, dad, I want the money that I get when you die. Can I get that now? Pretty rude, right? (laughs) Like go to your parents and say, hey, I wish you were dead and I want your money. See how that goes. Don't do that. Some of your parents are in here. Don't do that. I didn't tell them to do that. I didn't tell them to do that. We're not going to do that. But when he had spent, okay, uh, and not too many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a faraway country, and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That is gambling. That is prostitutes. That is not good stuff. I'll just t- I'll limit it to that. Prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and jo- uh, joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Verse 16, and when he, um, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods of that swine, uh, of the swine, with the swine ate, forgive me, and no one gave them anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and and came to his father. But when he was still a great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I, I have sinned against heaven and in your side, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. Verse 24. And this, uh, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music dance. uh, He heard the music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he, was, uh, because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But when, uh, but when he was angry and would not go in, therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, hey, These many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat. A little bit of laughing because I read a lot of verses. That I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And when he was, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be merry and glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. All right, we're going to go through this quickly because I think I have 10 minutes. When are we supposed to end, Brandon? Oh, we got 25. I'm going to try to get us out early. Don't worry. Okay, we're going to start here. 
What's different about this parable than the first two is the first two were lost by accident. Oh, I didn't mean to get lost, but I'm lost. This third one was lost by choice. I want you dead and I'm leaving. I'm gonna go do what I want. And then it didn't work out well. But what was really interesting to me is that there was a famine in the land. Heads up for all the people who are contemplating, I wanna go do prodigal living. Um, it's not gonna work and a famine is going to arise. Well, how can you say that? Because things that are not of God don't satisfy. It's not that it just happenstances of famine. Anybody who goes and chooses to live a prodigal lifestyle, to live outside the covenant of blessing, not just the covenant of rules, it's the covenant of blessing. Why would we expect there not to be a famine in that person's life? Perhaps that's the way God pulls people back in, not because he's causing the famine, but because under outside the umbrella of his covering, there is not protection. And so the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God came to give you life and life abundantly. So he makes a way for you to come back home. There's going to be a famine if you're not following Jesus. I hate to say it. So then, oh, I need to make sure I find this here. I don't want to skip out. Verse 17 through 19, we see this, he came to himself. These moments where it's like, man, even like the least guy on my dad's farm makes like a lot of money and eats and is really healthy. You know, I heard this story recently. There was this girl who used to come to a youth group. Uh, the pastor was, uh, he was a youth pastor at the time, but he got promoted to the senior pastor like a decade later. And it was, it was 10 years had passed since he'd seen this girl who used to come to youth. Um, he was at home with his wife and kids. I think it was, I think it was Christmas time. It was Christmas Eve, I think it was. And he gets a knock on the door and he's like, okay, let's go. And he, he opens the door and it's this girl from 10 years ago from youth. And he's like, Hey, you look familiar. And she's like, yeah, I knew you from youth a long time ago. And this is a real story, by the way. Um, and, and he's like, so what's, what's going on? What can we do for you? Merry Christmas Eve. And she's like, Hey, my parents kicked me out of my house. I went to go live with my older sister. I'm working three jobs. I got fired from all three jobs. I didn't pay my sister's rent the way I was supposed to. She took my car and my car keys from me, threw me out on the street, and I, I didn't know where to go, but I knew I could come here, is what she said. I don't, I don't have anywhere to go, but I knew I could come here. It's been 10 years since she's, he's seen this girl. And, and that phrase just, burned in my, in my heart when I heard that. I didn't know where I could go, but I knew I could come to your house. I don't know where I can go, but I know I could come back to the house of the Lord. Man, I feel alone. I'm abandoned. I, everything's gone, but I know I can go back to God. He, he's going to see me. And what does it say? The father was looking on the hill. This is how I imagine in my mind. It says he saw him when he was afar off. You don't see somebody who's afar off when you're busy doing other stuff. The father, I just imagine him just like sitting on the hill, just like, man, I can't wait to see the silhouette of my son coming over the hill. And it says that when he saw him, because he was looking for him, the father was looking for him. It says when he saw him, he, he just, and bolted to him, ran to him as fast as he could, jumped on top of him. The father started kissing him and hugging him. Oh, I'm so glad you're back. And the son starts like rehearsing the spiel. It's like, father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. And the father's just like, nah, don't even forget about it. And in the NASB translation, it says that the father says, quickly, put the ring on him, give him the best coat, put the sandals back on his feet. Why? Because when there's repentance, God is quick to restore you. 
quick. It's not this like, you messed up. Okay, hey, let's walk through this discipleship pathway. You messed up here, so we're going to block that thing on your phone, and we're going to do all that. No, the father's like, hey, you're home. I'm going to restore you back to where you were, but when you left, I'm going to put some shoes on your feet. I'm going to make sure you have a coat on you, and we don't have time to go through those three things because those are just delicious. We'll get to it another day. But those three things, the, the ring, the sandals, and the coat, those are so good. But he restores him quickly because when, when we repent, God wants us home. He just wants us home. And I think there's something we should notice too, as again, as we are listening as people who both need to receive this for ourselves, but also want to be this to others. Here's this interesting thing. The father didn't bring up the sin issue. I might, I might be in hot water here. This might be my dicey message here. I don't, I don't know. The father didn't bring up the sin. Sometimes when people who've been afar come back, the first thing we want to do is like, hey, what's with that sin issue you had there? But the father never did that. He just said, come home. Come home. Oh, I'll restore you back. Let's party. <laughs> Let's party. <laughs> and and he, they cut up that fat cow and they, they partied big. <laughs> Let's go to the brother. I think it's interesting that when the prodigal son's brother came home late and saw everybody partying, he was really upset. It's like, what the heck's going on, dad? What is going on here? And he's real salty. Like if my older sister had a party and I didn't get to go, first of all, why didn't they invite him? I, fair reason to be salty. Like his son's in the field either way. But he's upset, right? Reasonably so. Not reasonably, but he was upset. And, and this verse always stuck out to me. He says this. Um, hold on, let me find it. Man, this is great preaching, guys. Look to your neighbor and say, Matt is reading his Bible. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. Verse 30. Sorry, we're back, guys. Verse 30. It says, but as soon as this son of yours came who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. This is the prodigal son's brother talking to the dad. He says, as soon as your son came back, you killed the fattened calf. I think it's interesting, too, that something maybe we need to check our hearts on. The older brother was like dividing the team. It wasn't his brother anymore. It was your son. Like, it's not my brother who was gone, but is now back. It's your son. When we get upset with people who come back, we typically try to box them in. Okay, you may have repented, but like, I don't want to accept you as repenting. I'm going to keep their distance from you. But the father never did that. The father just received him back kindly and patiently and lovingly. We do not want to be the older brother in this situation. Now, we're going to keep going here. Um, I want to ask this question. I told you we'd ask a question. How the heck do we position ourselves like the father? That's our question. How do we be like the father in welcoming people home who've who've been lost, who are coming back? That's tough. One, I mentioned the whole like not calling people out on their sin. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. I'm 25. I don't know about you, but I had a little... Taylor Swift is like ingrained in my brain. Um, It's hard when somebody's wronged you to receive them back well. People can hurt people. I don't know if you knew that. It's kind of tough. The father in this story, the son said, hey, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. Yet the father's like, okay, good. Come back. I love you. Didn't hold any remorse or frustration or anger against the son. How do we become people like that? We're going to look at one little section of scripture. And we're going to call it a night and we're going to pray. Second Corinthians 5. We're going to go here real quick. Second Corinthians 5. I'm going to turn in my Bible to 
chapter five. See if the booth will beat me here. They did not because I'm on fire. Bible sword drill. Second Corinthians five. Booth people, anybody in the booth? Somebody. Going once, going twice. Second Corinthians five. We're going to start in verse 14. It says this. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus died for everyone, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. You don't get to live for yourself anymore. Fun fact. But for him who died for them and rose again. Jesus died and rose again. Keep going. Therefore, this is the most radical verse in the entire Bible. Catch this. I need you to catch how serious this is. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. It gets crazier. Catch this. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we regard him thus no longer. Pause. We're going to pause right here. This is crazy. From now on, we don't regard anybody toward the junk stuff that they've done. According to the flesh. The flesh is a party that acts up and does dumb stuff all the time. I'm right here. I say some stupid stuff a lot. Like that's the flesh rising up and I do stupid stuff. It was the flesh that led the prodigal son to run from his father and take his money and be a mean little turd. It was, it was the flesh that causes sin to rise up within us. I know I said turd in the mic. But it's the flesh. And this is saying because of what Jesus did, we don't get to regard anybody according to the flesh. Not even Jesus who was perfect in the flesh. No sin, no spot, no error, no wrong, never made a mistake, not even once. We don't even look at him in the flesh. So if we're not going to look at the one who was perfect in the flesh and judge him by it, we can't look at the worst in the flesh and judge him by it. If we're not judging the perfect one, we're not judging the least of them. All right, let's keep going. Verse 17. Come on, Booth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Look to your neighbor and say, new creation. That word in the Greek translates one of a kind. Um, it is masterpiece. One of a kind masterpiece. Prototype. Never before seen. So when you become a new creation in Christ, you are not just like, I made a little alteration, got some, some rims on my shoes. I'm looking a little fresh, got a haircut. It's not like that. It's like you were this. You're no longer this. You're now this. It, brand new thing. It's like Toyota Camry Ferrari. It's not even close. Like we're playing two different games here. We got a, a horned melon, which is a melon. It's a fruit. Check it. Look it up. It's delicious. And then we got like a Super Bowl Football. Like they're not even close. They don't make any sense. They're two totally different things. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You think differently as a new creation. You operate differently as a new creation. You have new promises as a new creation. You have better, better relationships as a new creation. Old things have passed away. Praise God that my past isn't held against me. Because that's not me anymore. I died, remember? I'm, that's the old me. Come on, somebody. That's too good for this lame response I'm seeing right here. This is a, this is, oh, thank you. That was very, even worse somehow. <laughs> Your old life before Jesus is not held against you. And then think about it, prodigal living. Oh, I was, I, I fought, accepted Jesus, but then I went and did some bad stuff, but I want to come home. That's not held against you either. 
all things. That does not mean 99% of the things. That does not mean 98% of things. That does not mean majority of things. That means all things have become new. We're going to keep going. Keep going. Next verse. This is so good. Do we have a next verse? Yeah. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave you a job. Let's keep going. Verse 19. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 2.13. But oddly enough, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says the exact same thing. Catch this. It says in verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world. Reconcile means to pull those who are far close. He was pulling people close. He was grabbing them, pulling them in. Hey, you seem far, let's come back close. You're a sinner, let me make you wash you white as snow. He's pulling people close. And, oh man, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. He has commanded us to the word of reconciliation. Do you know what imputing means? Of course none of you do. Some of you are 12 in here. Like, I don't even know what imputing means until I Googled it. Imputing simply means to define, characterize, and classify somebody by their behavior. I'm not imputing. I'm not defining you. I'm not classifying you. I'm not characterizing you by your sin. How do we begin to act like the father and pulling people home? We don't look at the sin anymore. We don't call people their worst mistakes because you're not your worst mistake. You're not your biggest screw up. You're not your worst night, your thing you wish you wouldn't have done five days ago, five years ago, five minutes ago. You are not that. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. He has plans, purposes, callings on your life far greater than anything you can mess, like mess up by your behavior. You are way, way worse sinner than God is a savior. He is so good. You can't mess it up even if you wanted to. You could delay it a little bit. That's true, but God wants the best for you. And when we come back home, we get to receive that. So my challenge for us today is let's be compelled by the love of Christ. Going back to the beginning of 2 Corinthians 5, 12, 5, 14. Be compelled by the love of Christ. Now, let me make this clear because I butcher this all the time. I've misquoted this verse. I'm like, I'm compelled by love. No, don't do that. Because there's some weird love out there, right? Anybody watch the news? Like there's some weird stuff out there. We're not compelled by love. We're compelled by the love of Christ. The love of the world is sketchy, funky, weird stuff. Like ugh, some sketch juju magumbo right there. We don't play with that stuff. The love of Christ says you're worth dying for. You're worth putting my spirit in. You're worth me encouraging you and knowing you intimately and personally walking with you daily, restoring you freely. That's, that's the love of Christ that compels us to look at people who are really messed up and say, come home. I love you. It's been tough, but I like Jesus. I'm going to sweep up the things that you've been dealing with. I'm going to light a lamp because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Four, chap or four chapters later, he says, you're the light of the world too. So we get to light up the dark places when we put our feet in a room. When you go to school, when you walk in your bedroom, you are the light of the world. So you get to light up the place that you go to. I don't know if you know that. You're the light of the world, whether you realize it or not. You are the light of the world. Um, it's not you know, that old saying, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I hate that song. You know why? 
because your light's not little. This little light, no, that's not biblical. You're the light of the flipping world. He doesn't light a lamp to cover it up. He lights a lamp and puts it on a stand so that all can see that it'll light up the whole room when you get in there. You don't got a little light. You got a big old light. Not a flashlight. I'm talking like the solar, like the sun kind of light. S-U-N. That's a lame joke. Nobody got it. That was a really good joke. Can we end on one high note? We're going to end on a high note. That was good. Luke 1910, 1910. This is just a little faith booster. We're going to leave on a little faith. I don't know why I hit here. It's like a little injection of energy, not drugs. <laughs> I swear, guys, I, I don't know why I patted my wrist when I'm doing this. What am I doing? For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Now, why is this encouraging? Um, Because God accomplishes what he puts his mind to. And you know what this says to me? There's grace for everything that's lost to be found. Let me say that again. There's grace for everything that's lost to be found. Why? Because Jesus is looking for it. We don't have some scrub Dora the Explorer looking for it. We got Jesus Christ, master builder, the one who actually built this whole thing we're, we're living in. He's looking for people. And when he looks, he finds. The good work he started, he he doesn't leave it unfinished. He keeps going until it's done. So when we leave this room, and maybe you're someone who feels lost, maybe you're a sheep, you're a coin, you're a prodigal son, maybe you're all three, I don't know where you're at, and you say, I want Jesus, that's fantastic. We're going to have a moment where you can do that. But when you leave here as an empowered believer, follower of Jesus, you get to walk into your school. You get to walk anywhere you go, honestly. Taco Bell, let's do it. Knowing that Jesus is looking for those lost people. So when you walk in there as the light of the world, he's already in there looking for them too. You're not alone in this. It says in Psalms, I want to say 147. I'm not, that's not right. Don't even quote me on it. I'm going to say 114. This is a guess. There's a lot of Psalms in there. The, the world is the Lord's and the fullness therein. He doesn't have away games. God doesn't have away games. He's got home court advantage everywhere he goes. So when you go, he's already there. He's, he's setting it up. He's preparing the way. He is making it so that people can come home. And I want people to come home. I said it at the beginning, I'm going to end it on this. I promise. I'm, I'm saying, I'm doing the preacher thing. We're done, but we're not. I want people to come home. I mean, candidly, I have a cousin, maybe two, um, who, who aren't following Jesus. I have lots of coworkers who aren't following Jesus. And it breaks my heart to think about people spending eternity in hell when the father is so desperately looking on the hill waiting for them to come home. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, reconcile, pull people who are far close. It's our job to help bring people to Jesus. It's not our job to save them. Thank God I'd be horrible at that. Just bring them to Jesus, bring them to Jesus, bring them to Jesus. When they start asking, why is your life different? Hey, it's Jesus, man. God, come home with me. Come home with me. Let's, let's look at Jesus. Come here. Have you re- Did you see this thing in John 3, 16? Come, come here. John 10, 10. I mean, the book of John's amazing. Have you, Jeremiah 20, 11, Have you seen this? Come on, come on, come on. Ephesians 2, 10, Ephesians 3, 20. I mean, come on. And you start pointing them to Jesus, and the light gets a little bit brighter, and the path gets a little bit cleaner, and you start seeing people come home. Can we pray for them real quick? I'm going to ask us to be incredibly vulnerable. Keep your eyes open. Does anybody have somebody that they want to come home? 
I mean, I do. I've got a handful, most of people, some people in the room. You got somebody who wants to come home. That's okay to have that, like, man, I want them to come home. That's a good thing. That's a godly thing. We're going to pray for those people. But I can't pray alone because I have no idea who those people are that you want to come home. Let's just be honest here. I don't. I, I can't do it. So when I'm praying, I need you to pray. I told you it's going to be risky, but I need you to just pray, God, bring them home. Can we do that? Can we do that simple? If you want to go more, go more. Go ham. Go crazy. Speak in tongues if you need to. But I, I want to, God, bring this person home. Bring Alicia home. Bring Mark home. Bring this person home. Bring them home. Right? I'm going to pray. And then after that, so I'm going to say after. We're going to take a little pause. Everyone's eyes are going to be closed. And then I'm going to ask if anybody who feels like a lost coin, lost sheep, prodigal son is in the room and they want to come home themselves. Now, I'm only doing it with the eyes closed because I want to be sensitive to it. We said we're going to clean up the path and light up the way so that people can come home. I think sometimes it's nice to just have a little bit of privacy when you're giving your heart back to Jesus. Now, if you do and you decide to come back home tonight, we're going to party. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. It's, it's going to maybe be a little embarrassing, but we're going to party hard tonight. But we're going to do that. We're going to give people opportunity to come home. So with that being said, are you ready to pray for your person? Great. Does anybody not have a person they're praying for? Raise your hand if you don't have somebody you're praying for. You don't have somebody you're praying for? Somebody who has somebody that they're praying for, lean over and tell their person who doesn't have somebody, somebody to pray for. Does that make sense? Like, who doesn't have somebody? Pray for my cousin Alicia. There we go. Like, good? Are we good? We, all of our bases are covered? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that prodigals are coming home in the name of Jesus. That every lost sheep, every lost coin is being found by your loving arms, by your warm embrace, Jesus. That where there has been clutter and the lost coin is lost in the shuffle of life, God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you sweep up every disturbance, every distraction, everything that has taken away and hindered, and you make a clear, well-lit path for those lost coins to come home. God, I pray for those who don't know why they're lost, who feel helpless, who feel stuck, who feel like they can't just move forward and they're stuck where they are. God, I thank you that you are lifting them up in the name of Jesus, putting them on your shoulders and you are bringing them home, Lord. There is no weapon formed against us that will prosper. I say that every prodigal in this room, every lost sheep, every lost coin, come home right now in the name of Jesus. We just declare, we speak the power of the Holy Spirit to say, come home. Every lie that the enemy is trying to convince them of, be gone and be broken in the name of Jesus. There is no condemnation. There is no no shame in Christ Jesus. Every attack of the enemy be broken right now. God, I thank you for my, my cousins, the two of them, Alicia Bryant, come home in the name of Jesus. I thank you for my coworkers, and I'm not going to put on the mic in case they check the podcast. God, I thank you that they come home in the name of Jesus. God, that you draw them in. It says the goodness of God leads to repentance. So God, shine your goodness on these people. Use us, Lord. Use us to be the light of the world to those who are lost. God, we say, do all that's in your heart. Let heaven come to earth and let earth make it to heaven. God, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Everybody keep your eyes closed, heads bowed. Anybody in this room feeling a, a nudging, a little pulling on their heart that they want to come home, if that's you, just slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around, eyes closed, we're just going to give you the opportunity to respond. You're not responding to me, by the way. You're responding to your heavenly father who wants you home. Open arms, open heart, forgiveness, ready and locked and loaded, healing, locked and loaded, peace, locked and loaded, ready for you to receive it when you come home. If that's you, just slip your hand up real quick. 
Fantastic, fantastic. Now I'm going to have everybody pray this exact same prayer together. If you've prayed this prayer before, it's okay. Do it as a fresh rededication saying, God, you still have my heart. And I love you. Let's keep going. If it's your first time, maybe it's your first time in a long time and you're rededicating your life, pray it anyways. Pray it in faith that God is going to come and restore you back to innocence. He's going to put that ring back on. He's going to put the jacket on. He's going to give you some fresh sandals and he's going to restore you back. And we're going to party. So repeat after me, dear Jesus. I love you. I thank you. I receive you as the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me, for washing me white as snow. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for me. I receive you. I love you. And it's in your name I pray. We hope you've been inspired by this word. To help awaken your faith on a regular basis, subscribe now so you can be alerted when we have a new message. Thank you so much for listening.